I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blimke. And you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. You can now listen to all of our episodes and see show notes at FriendlyAtheistPodcast.com. So I'm here at the American Atheist Convention 2015 in Memphis, Tennessee, and I am joined by Trace Beaulieu and Frank Conniff. Guys, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having us. I like that you're sharing a mic. You guys look like backup singers, which yeah, I'm really into. I, I'm like Linda McCartney, and he's mm-hmm. uh, Yoko. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Why do Definitely. I have to be Yoko? <laughs> Yoko's the, you know, she's, I don't know. Probably the more talented. Not that Linda wasn't talented, but... I'm going to go pound a nail into the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so you guys, uh, our listeners, would should probably know you as the cre- the creators of Mystery Science Theater well, 3000. The not the creators. Although, they wouldn't know that. Trace is, was there at the inception of it and, uh-huh. and helped develop it and form it and make it what it was. But I was I, the doula. <laughs> I, that helped that. But I, I didn't come in until the second season. So, oh, okay. Um, I, I only... Um, tell people I created it when I'm in a Brian Williams kind of mood and I want to uh, uh, build up my resume and stuff. Mm -hmm. But then I also tell people that I started it and that I operated all the puppets, Uh you know, because I I learned from Brian Williams that you you should just exaggerate everything. Didn't you get shot on the show too? I did. I I was in a helicopter over the studio Mm -hmm. and we got... IED, you know, it's very yeah. hairy. Did all your own stunts. You stepped on an IUD, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess, what was the genesis of Mystery Science Theater? Uh, the original uh, show was done on a UHF station in Minneapolis, uh-huh. uh, and uh, Joel and uh, Jim Allen uh, shared warehouse space and they knew each other and uh, Jim had access to this TV station and Uh Joel had a concept for a TV show and then he brought Josh Weinstein or J. Elvis Weinstein and myself in to operate some puppets Mm -hmm. and we found ourselves watching bad movies with nothing else really to say and we realized very quickly we needed to fill the dead space with jokes Uh and it grew from there. Cool. And then that. eventually we learned we needed to write scripts, and that's when Frank came on board, because we needed writers, because we it was all improv in the sure. early days. And then you realized that you're not that quick on your feet? Is that yes. what it is? Well, yes. <laughs> well, we, we were quick on our feet, but we were quick on our feet in the writer's room before we uh-huh. filmed, and so... It was uh, the script was a cu- accumulation of several days of us being quick on our feet uh-huh. in a slow kind of way. <laughs> uh, and how did you pick the movies? Like, whose awful job was it to just um, watch those terrible y- movies? You were looking at <laughs> yeah. the person. It was my job. It became my job. When, when we first started, um, we, we were kind of uh, haphazard about it. We would, wa- we would all, like, watch a few minutes of a movie uh-huh. and then just say, yeah, let's do that one. But then we did... Um, a film called Side Hackers, uh, which we watched a few minutes of it and said, yeah, let's do this. And then um, when we finally, we got the rights for it, and then when we did it, we saw that right in the middle of the movie there was this horribly brutal, violent rape scene, which we didn't really care to make jokes about, uh-huh. you know. And we cut the scene out, but we decided from then and there that one of us should like watch the enti- an entire movie before we go and, and recommend it, and then uh, that job fell upon me because I was everyone else on the staff had other skills. Trace was building sets, Mike was writing music, um, 
but I had no other skills except yelling out sarcastic remarks, so they gave me that job. <laughs> I think one of the greatest skills I had was avoiding doing the odious job that fell to Frank. <laughs> I mean, it's a good skill to have, sounds yeah. like. Uh, so where, I, I get like the genesis of like, yeah, we want to make fun of bad movies. Where did the whole kind of background of like he's stuck in this thing and has to watch these movies and there's robots instead of just like other people with him? Was there a specific reason you guys went that way or just like it seemed funnier? Uh, well, Joel was a fan of, uh, as a lot of us were a fan of the, the film um, with uh, Bruce Dern. Silent Running. Silent Running. He was a man trapped on a spaceship with three little robots, Huey, Dewey, and Louie. And uh, Joel was very enamored of that uh, idea. And in fact, you can see, if you watch that film, it looks like, you know, Bruce Dern is this hippie in space, and that's Uh kind of what Joel looked like Uh on the early show. Cool. I love that. Um, So yeah, the mythology grew out of of that, the mythology, (laughs) the mythology of this spaceship show. and plus, since, you know, it, it, it had a sci-fi premise from the start, sure. you know, and being in outer space, it made sense yeah. to have robots. And plus, that uh, uh, Joel and Trace, um, you know, they liked building things, and mm-hmm. they, they loved making the robots. And then uh, Trace was a very talented puppeteer, as was uh, uh, Kevin Murphy who, uh, and, and J. Ellis Weinstein. So, it, it, you know, uh, robots lent themselves to puppets sure. very well. Yeah. What's your, your, do you have a background in puppeteering? Um, not really. Uh-huh. Uh, and I approached that show not really as a puppeteer, but more as a comedian. Sure. So it was the comedy first, and then um, there were, the, the puppets were very unwieldy and really expressionless, if you uh-huh. think about them. Yeah. Especially Tom Servo. So it was all, we learned as we went along mm-hmm. to how to, uh, puppeteer them yeah. and how they would look on screen. But uh, it was really, it, for me, I don't know how, how Frank feels about it, but it was the comedy first. Mm-hmm. What's, yeah. what's visually funny, what's verbally funny. Yeah. yeah. The jokes are what mattered most. Mm-hmm. What I love about the show is it's it's really ahead of its time because I feel like now, like now that podcasts have taken off, there's a handful of shows I can think of off the top of my head that do a similar idea to what you guys did, That whether it's actually doing the commentary over the movie or like how did this get made it's a podcast I love that they yeah. watch movies and then kind of digest or also you know shows I think like uh, The Soup and yeah. stuff like that is kind of like sort of meta humor yeah where they show a clip and then they do jokes about it and then um, Twitter itself is is very mystery science theater yeah everybody is always live tweeting things uh-huh. and snarking about everything yeah and, uh, so, so what you're uh, saying is you invented Twitter? Is that- um, I'm not saying that. <laughs> what I'm doing is apologizing for creating that, <laughs> that mentality of, of unending snark that we live in. Do you, are you not a fan? Are you over snark? Have we, I'm, re- I'm have we over, reached peak snark? I, well, first of all, I'm, it's for me to even talk about this is the pot calling the kettle black. Because <laughs> I've based my whole life on being sarcastic uh-huh. and making quips and making wisecracks and making fun of everything. But I'm a little, uh, the Twitter, um, and you know, there's people on Twitter who are brilliant and write brilliant jokes, mm-hmm. and, and I'm a big fan, and, and, I, and I love being a part of Twitter, but the whole overall sensibility of, of you know, when people um, 
just kind of uh, put down everything, you know, just kind of a second nature without even uh-huh. it really having any substance to it. That, that I'm not a fan of. No. And I don't really think uh, Mystery Science Theater was the origins of that. I think, you know, if you look back at Mad Magazine and yeah, absolutely. And everything that uh, made fun of popular culture, Spy Magazine and uh-huh. National Lampoon, yeah. um, we were just another link in that chain of snarky comedy. Sure. Right. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, Mystery Science, what years did, did the show air? We started in 88, mm-hmm. 88, 87, yeah. and it went through... Until uh, 98, 98, right? Yeah, it was 10 years. And did you, did you run out of movies, or were you just kind of no, over the... <laughs> we never, ever run out of movies. Well, well they, it was, the show was canceled by Comedy Central after uh-huh. like seven seasons, and then... The Sci-Fi Channel picked it up for the last three, and you know, I, I think the show could have gone on forever, but yeah. the Sci-Fi Channel, you know, decided not to. Mm-hmm. And it. and it's lived on in um, uh, Cinematic Titanic, which yeah. uh, was a live version of Mystery Science Theater, mm-hmm. and uh, Mike and Kevin and Bill Corbett do uh, riff tracks. Which yes. continued it in another kind of really inspired way of doing contemporary movies where you did not need to acquire the rights to mm-hmm. those. You just put an MP3 file yeah. at- attached to it. Yeah. So it lives on. And the, we found by going to these uh, science fiction conventions that the show is maybe more popular than it was when we were making it. Yeah, and people are really passionate about it. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. the thing, and it's yeah. very gratifying. We meet a lot of people who grew up watching the show, which, first of all, makes me realize how old I am. <laughs> and secondly, is very gratifying because people have great stories about how, you know, oh, I watched it with my dad, it, you know, it brought us together, mm-hmm. or it was a thing our family did, or... Or a lot of people say, you know, I was going through a really difficult time in my life. I was suffering from an illness, and mm-hmm. your show uh, really helped me get get through it. And, and I just love hearing that yeah. kind of thing so much. It makes me feel very grateful to be a part of it. Yeah. You know? it, it makes us feel almost like we did something worthwhile. <laughs> almost. What's that like? <laughs> well, it, not, we're not quite there. <laughs> yeah, I actually have a memory of being pretty young, maybe uh, seven or eight, and I have an older brother, and uh-huh. he used to watch the show all the time, and I'd watch, you know, when you're a kid, you look up to your older siblings, and I would watch it with him, and I did not get a single thing, but like, <laughs> you know when you're a kid, and you do you do the thing about where, like, you know it's a joke, like, you right. recognize the pattern yeah, of what a yeah. joke sounds like, you uh-huh. don't get the joke, but you're like, ha yeah. we're enjoying this so much together. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally, uh, under, I think I was that way when I was a little kid, too, and I'd watch, you know, because I was very interested in comedy. And, uh-huh. you know, when I was six years old, I think my favorite comedian was Jerry. You know, I love Jerry Lewis. Mm-hmm. But then I'd watch other comedians who were a little more sophisticated than that. But I think just the cadence of the comedy, yeah. uh, even when I didn't understand it, I think it, it influenced me and, mm-hmm. and, and made me more interested in it. Yeah. yeah, as a kid, you understand the rhythm. Right, yeah. exactly. And there's exactly. a great emotional uh, payoff. You uh-huh. get to hear laughter. Right. And so I think you start laughing, or at least... The comedians that I know um, that were, were understanding that rhythm as, a, as very young children, mm-hmm. um, you would laugh anyway. Yeah. 
for me, it was always, um, I loved watching Mel Brooks movies. Oh, yes. sure. Yeah. And that was, like, there were, I remember watching, this is by no means his best one, but when I loved as a kid was the Robin Hood one. Oh, Run sure, Men in Tights. Tights, yeah. And I was, that came out in, like, 91, and I was six, uh-huh. so I was just, like, all over it. And I watched it again when I was in high school, mm. and there were jokes that I, like, I know I had laughed at, uh. but the one that stuck out was, like, the, talking about, it was, the joke was Loxley and Miguel can't miss, and I didn't know what bagels and locks were, but I was a kid like, ha ha, classic yeah, Brooks. Right, right. And then I watched it as an adult, I'm like, oh, it was a yeah. stupid pun on Jewish food. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so the show ends, and you guys, did you guys try to stay, uh, keep as a group, or did you kind of well, go We all separate? left at different times. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, we all kind of went, we, we ended up like kind of um, migrating back to each other. Mm-hmm. But when I left, um, I moved to LA, and I left in 95, you know, a few years before the show ended. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I moved to L.A. and I, I ended up um, writing on Sabrina the Teenage Witch and um, Invader Zim and the Drew Carey show and the Tom I Green show. I loved the Drew Carey show as a oh, kid. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah. So I, um, uh, you know, so I was just uh, off in my own thing. And then Trace left and he ended up uh, doing a lot of different projects in America's Funniest Home Videos yeah, and I stuff like that. Left, uh, after the seventh season, uh, and after we had done the movie version of Mystery Science Theater, mm-hmm. went to LA, and uh, Josh uh, was just getting the head writer job of the reincarnated America's Funniest Home Videos, mm-hmm. and he knew that I was skilled at mocking videotapes. Sure. So uh, right up your alley. <laughs> we fell into that, and did I did that for nine seasons in Los wow. Angeles. And uh, and then at the end of that run, uh, we started Cinematic Titanic. Uh-huh. We, we uh, uh, Joel and Josh and I were pitching ideas around for other projects, and uh, we all kind of came back to you know what we really love to do is mock movies. Mm-hmm. So let's do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the and the thing about Cinematic Titanic too was that it was it was the Mystery Science Theater experience, but in front of a live audience. So that for me as a stand-up comedian, yeah. you know, that made it that brought it to a whole new level and and that was really like one of the greatest experiences of my professional mm-hmm. life was performing in front of entire auditoriums of people who love mystery science theater yeah. and know exactly That's so cool. what it was that we were doing and and uh, yeah, I just love that so much. Mm-hmm. If, if you know, to me the only thing better if then doing Mystery Science Theater is doing Mystery Science Theater live. You yeah. Know? yeah. Oh, it, it was such a natural graduation from Mystery Science Theater uh, because then it was just the purity of the jokes. Uh-huh. There was no more ro- robots or spaceship sure. or premise or mm-hmm. mad scientist. It was just us uh, against the movie. And would yeah. you do the same thing that you would write things beforehand? or would Yes, you? absolutely. Yes. Except because yeah. when we did Mystery Science Theater, we did it all together in one room, whereas mm-hmm. now we all live in different parts of the country. So we would work on separate parts of the script separately mm-hmm. and then put them all together. And then uh-huh. when we got together in one city, we'd all go to a conference room kind of like this and rehearse it and change it. Was it this it. swanky? Because this has two not, Never this swanky. No, but, we're uh, not allowed swank. Yeah. This nice. <laughs> if this recording sounds echoey, it's because we're in a giant boardroom. The people that have been fired in this room would be an impressive list. <laughs> I just imagine, like, old white men in suits, like, just sitting around this table, tenting their fingers and yes. plotting destruction. All looking like uh, Mr. Burns. That's exactly, yeah. exactly. The millions of liver spots that have raised <laughs> in this room would be impressive. Yeah. 
Um, do you guys both have background in stand-up? Yeah. yeah, that's where we all met. We yeah. all met um, doing stand-up comedy in Minneapolis. I'd, I'd moved there from New York in uh, 1985, and uh, I met Trace. I met uh, Mike Nelson. I met Mike Nelson He at an open mic, uh-huh. you know, uh, that I was... Uh, that I was running. Uh, that's where I first met him and his wife, Bridget. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I met Trace at a place called the Haha ha Club. Um, Comedy clubs have the best name. I know, yeah. don't they? We So dignified. They <laughs> took that because the Chuckle Hut had been yeah, taken exactly. already. Yeah. But, uh, and I met, uh, and Joel had already, like, been to L.A. and had been a big comedy sensation, but uh-huh. he kind of walked away from all that, and he moved back to Minneapolis. And so I, he started coming back into the comedy clubs. Uh-huh. And so I met him there, and uh, I think it was all of us had a stand-up background except for uh, Jim Mallon and Kevin Murphy were kind of from a TV production background, so yeah. which was a really good combination of because uh, they really knew how to. They, I think you were someone that said they were the, they had the key to the AV room, you know. <laughs> yeah. they, they like they knew how to do it, so um, so th- so that was very fortuitous. Uh, combination, but but that yeah, stand up is 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 all yeah. of our backgrounds. And that was so you were in the stand up scene in the seventies ish, eighties. Yeah, this was the, the mid eight, like the height yeah. of the nineteen eighties comedy club boom. Yeah, I'm really curious because I do um, some stand up in Chicago. Just uh-huh. at, just Chicago's from, one of the great comedy oh, it's towns. So fun. Yeah, uh, and it's just a hobby. I really enjoyed it. Well, like, uh, what was the scene like in the eighties? Because there well, was a lot was of people great. getting. TV deals and well, I you know I think in LA stuff like that was going on where mm. people like uh, Drew Carey and Roseanne Barr and Tim Allen yeah. and you know and Brett Seinfeld. Butler were getting, and as a result of the success of their shows, they ended up giving every comedian when you got off the plane you got a sitcom development deal, uh-huh. but uh, not <clears throat> none of them, hardly any of them uh, became successful, but or, or even got on the air. But we you know we were in Minneapolis. And um, so none of us were getting big sitcom deals. But the great thing about it was it was such a fertile, creative scene Mm -hmm. uh, there. And, um, you know, so all the people that I've just mentioned from Mystery Science Theater were all in Minneapolis, plus Liz Winstead, who who went on to co-create The Daily Show. Yeah, she's the best. And people like who had already moved to L.A. but came back a lot who were from there, like Louis Anderson and uh, Uh Jeff Cesario. And, uh, I forgot about Louis Anderson. Yeah, Louis Anderson and uh, uh, Joel Joel Madison and um, uh, just a lot of and, and uh, years later, I he was after my time. Mitch Hedberg came out of Minneapolis, you know. Oh, yeah. So, um, so good. there was just so much create. Oh, and Tom Arnold was from there. That's mm-hmm. where he met Roseanne. Mm-hmm. You know, so there was so much. Uh, funny people and it was a real renaissance so so for me I just look at it even like before I got a mystery science theater I look at back as just a really kind of golden time yeah you know? oh, that's so cool um, is it ever you know you did mystery science theater was clearly like an important thing that happened in your life uh-huh. is it ever hard to like be known for like this one thing that you did 20 years ago does you know, it, we were talking about that the other day, and it's like you get known for the first thing you've, you're seen yeah, doing. Yeah. And uh, I don't think we resent it at all. It's, uh-huh. I mean, we wouldn't be here if we right. had not yeah. done that. And we've had some great opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're we're seeing a generation who is who have Rediscovered come up it? 
well, yeah. watching that show right. and now are in positions where they can hire us. Mm -hmm. yeah. They are now the executive producers sure. on shows. Right. And, and, that's, uh, and if they are listening, please hire us. Yes, please. We, we're, come on, we're in Tennessee doing an atheist convention. Help us. No, I'm kidding. But... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think that's honestly, that yeah. leads me to my next question. Like, why are you at an atheist convention? Like, um, what's... Well, it, uh, it was all God's work, I oh, think. Oh, good. Um, but, Mysterious uh, ways and such. I actually, the head of this convention just contacted me on Twitter one day. Silverman? And, huh? David Silverman? Yeah, and he said, um, uh, would you... He, he, I think he wanted to get, like, Cinematic Titanic. He wanted to get everybody. Uh-huh. Um, and Cinemax Titanic weren't around anymore by then. And, and I know that uh, Joel would not feel comfortable uh, doing an atheist convention. Um, so I said, um, you know, uh, I think Trace and I would be interested in doing it. Uh -huh. We're big whores. Yeah, we're whores. <laughs> we'll, we'll come we'll, and do You that. know, we're doing, uh, we did uh, CPAC last week, and we're doing a Christian convention next week. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we didn't do any of those things. But uh, Please go to CPAC. Please. <laughs> oh, I would love to... to Go to CPAC. What movie would we do at CPAC? <laughs> this the same one we're doing the here, I think. Yeah. Yeah. God, God is not. Is it God's uh, not? God's, God's not, not God's dead. God's not dead. Yeah. God is um, not dead. But anyway, he just contacted me and said, uh, would you guys be interested? And, and we're like, yeah, sure. Cool. You know? Easy as can be. Yeah. If someone calls us up and invites us, we are polite. That is... And if there's money involved, yes, there has to be money. Oh, I'm and not then we're very paying clear. you for this podcast. Was that oh, was that made clear? If you if you paid me, f if I got paid for being on a podcast, I'd have to go call the Ripley's Believe It or Not people <laughs> to let them know that the un unprecedented uh, thing happened. Yeah, I feel like the moral I'm learning right now is if I want you guys to do something, I just tweet at you, and you yeah. just sort of show up. I yeah, know. yeah. Uh, you know, I'm because I just tweeted at you a half hour ago, and. Here, Here we, we are. are in my boardroom. I I don't I don't say no to a lot of things. You know, <laughs> it's true. And I do. And I, I live in New York City now, and um, I've done everybody's podcast there. Uh, everybody calls, not everybody, but people call me up. Everyone and I, calls and I do them quite frequently. And I, I do uh, stand. You know, whenever anyone asks me to do a stand-up show, if I'm available, mm -hmm. I do it. So I, I just love going out and having experiences. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. What do you think about podcast? Not to get too meta on this podcast, uh -huh. but what do you think about podcasting as an art form? Because you said like nobody really gets, nobody makes that much money off them, but they're like a great way for comedians to get their work out. They are. I, I as an art form, I think, um, as a business, they're not that exciting, but <laughs> as an art form, they're very exciting. Yeah. Because every comedian I know is involved in podcasting. Mm -hmm. One way that uh, podcasting now, someone else said that it's like comedy clubs in the 80s in terms of a boom among yeah. comedians. And, and I know it goes beyond comedians, but just I'm just talking specifically right. about so is comedy. So this, this is like the comedy... So this would I could get free soda at this podcast? No, that's the thing. Is the no one thing soda. that the comedy boom had over it is free soda. That oh, you don't, yeah. oh, no, actually, I, no, I, I, I take that back because... When I do people's podcasts, it's usually at their homes, and mm -hmm. they usually offer me a soda or water when oh, I go. Okay. So, go. so it is similar in that sense. Podcasts with some classy people. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what's what's great about it is it is a a creative outlet for people, and and we have complete creative control, you know. And so I've worked. I do. Um, Every week I do the Jimmy Dore show, mm -hmm. which is which is on public radio in L.A., but it's it's also a podcast. 
and and I usually write a I, I'm I'm on the panel every week and I and I write a sketch, and so the sketch I write is just whatever I want it to be, and mm-hmm. I hand it in and we just do it. That's and and the yeah. same thing was the case. Uh, when I, I wrote a lot of sketches for the David Feldman podcast, which was mainly a sketch show, and I got to work with um, uh, Robin Williams, uh, Martin Short, Andrea Martin, uh, Paul Dooley, uh, really wow. in, incredible people who were just coming in to do this podcast for fun, and, and, and for the same reason I was there, for this is, we can just do whatever we want here. Yeah. There's no, uh, when you do a TV show or a movie, uh, you, you get a lot of notes from network executives. Mm-hmm. They're like, change this, change that. Though You can't do that. You're yeah. not allowed to say that. Uh-huh. And, and in the podcasting world, um, that doesn't exist right now. And yeah. that's, that's why mm-hmm. everybody does it, even though it doesn't pay anything. Mm-hmm. Frank, why don't you do your own podcast? You know what? It's funny you should say that because I... I um, uh, do uh, my, my, and my podcast is a scripted podcast, and it's original radio plays what? that I write. Yes, it's called Podhouse Ninety, and uh, it's, you can find it at frankconiff.com, and it's free. But for me, it's like instead of like writing a screenplay and and or a play, and then trying to get someone to produce it, and uh-huh. trying to get some bureaucrat who works in a entertainment company office to like this one to to approve of it and and give me notes on it I can just go out and make it myself yeah and so that's that was the whole appeal to me of doing it and yeah. I'm very excited about it and I think there's also an element of the cream really rises to the top with, yes, the, yeah. with podcasts like which if it's explains good, it's, why mine hasn't risen to the top I was just about yet. to say I shouldn't say that because <laughs> ours isn't that high in the rankings but but yeah um so Oh, let's talk, since this is an atheist podcast, have you guys, did either of you grow up in religion? Do you want to talk about that? Um, well, I, um, my parents um, uh, wanted me to grow up to be an atheist, so they raised me Catholic. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> but uh, I'm actually not an atheist, but I'm, uh, I'm not religious either. And, uh-huh. and I'm not an atheist, but I'm a, I'm a, fa- a huge fan of blasphemy. So that's, that's why I'm here doing this. But... Uh, um, yeah, I come from a you know Catholic background, which uh-huh. is which is a great way to grow up to not be religious. Yeah, for sure. Does it ever? I've had a lot of people turn us down, um, even if they're in your position, they don't uh, consider themselves an atheist, but they just don't want their name associated with that. Does that? Do you have any um, fears like that, or are you? Oh, do you feel it's like kind of too late. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I've got this now. I'm I know. Run out of the room I, with this laptop. I never thought of that until just this moment. Oh, my God, what am I doing? I'm ruining my career by being here. This is a disaster. Oh, God. You see, I do believe in God. I just said, oh, God, no. Um, Yeah, I don't, uh, you know, I don't, some people care about stuff like that, but um, I'm, I kind of um, associate with uh, comedians um, who, are somewhat progressive in their politics and stuff. and, and well, comedians are progressive? I don't know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, I do a lot of, on Twitter, I do a lot of, I do a lot of tweets that are, like, political in nature. And then, uh, you know, I get people writing me, and they, oh, why are you doing that? I, I loved you on Mystery Science Theater, and you know, and now... their childhood memories. Yeah, why are you doing political comedy? And I'm like, well, I'm doing political comedy because I'm interested in politics, and I'm a comedian, and so... When I'm a, when you're a comedian, you do that. You write about the things that you're interested in, uh-huh. and so 
Um, you know, if, if and, and we did get a little bit of uh, when they announced on the uh, Mystery Science Theater website, the the Info Club website, people were like, "Oh, it's such a shame that Trace and Frank are doing an atheist convention." And you know, it, it, it just comes down to the fact that we don't give a shit. You know. Did you hear about the protest that's going on across the street? No. No. Apparently, rumor has it that um, apparently Tennessee has laws against, like you can't protest, you need to get a permit to protest. Uh, so somebody applied for a permit, was denied, and so they rented the, um, there's a baseball stadium. Oh, right, the stadium. Right. They rented that stadium and are bussing Christians in to protest us. Oh, my goodness. So, wow. But it's all inside the stadium. Uh, How I guess. We know? I don't know. Apparently people are going to go out and mess with them or something. But the good thing about it is it's bat day. Yes, so. yeah, That's, and beer day, too. <laughs> you know, we're, we, people are so disappointed that we even make fun of movies, so... Uh, it's kind it's, of your whole jam. Yeah, 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 so it's like, it's hard to take it all seriously. You can't, you know... Uh, we're going to disappoint people anyway. Someone yeah. said that when you try to, parents, if you try to please everybody, you end up pleasing no one. And, yeah. And the worst, not, you know, I mean, I'm just not into the whole vibe of... <clears throat> You know, uh, I mean, ideally, I would love for my comedy to appeal to everyone, and I would love for everyone in the world to love me unconditionally and to adore me and to give me validation. And are you saying this is not the case? I'm saying it's that hasn't happened, and, and and you know, and I'm not seeking for that. To, I'm just seeking to to entertain the people who want to be entertained by what I do. I feel like it's a good philosophy. Yeah. How about you, Trace? Wow. Uh, in terms of religious background, if any. I, I was really raised with nothing. I mean, yeah, and me comfortably nothing. Mm -hmm. And uh, But you learn very quickly to uh, avoid talking about it because uh, that's not okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking for a word that's even like, not, atheism doesn't even cover what I am. It's, I don't even like... Care. Care. Yeah. yeah. And there's probably, it's... I mean, that's not quite true. Because I don't care, mm -hmm. um, but I'm also a hermit, and I don't really need a lot of uh, a lot of taking care of. Yeah, I think I think that's becoming true for a lot of people, especially uh, millennials are finding themselves. They call them nuns, is what we've been tossing around. What? I'm, what Nun N o n e s nuns. No, so they nuns. have no religion, oh, like no nuns. religious affiliation. Well, I already have the outfit to wear for that. So. <laughs> But yeah, it's just the people who, like, my, my fiancé is one of them that, like, before he met yours truly, he, he didn't care. He grew yeah. up Catholic-ish uh -huh. mm. and just never would have thought twice about it had he not mm -hmm. hooked up with this one and uh. just been bugged about it for a few years. Yeah. Um, so I, I know, I'm sure you've noticed, you guys tomorrow are doing a um, that God is not dead. God's not dead, yeah. Thing. What do you call it? The we will be riffing. 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 It. Riffing. Mocking, riffing, it. riffing. Gently mocking. <laughs> Just a little... No, not really gently mocking. But. <laughs> so, so that movie came out was terrible. Left Behind came out was terrible. Like, why can't Christians... Left Behind, I, when I came out, I thought it was a movie about my career. Oh! He's a bomba. That was a rim shot on a bongo drum, by the way. That's my impression of it. <laughs> um... Why can't Christians make not terrible movies? Well, you know, like, we were talking about on? this, and, you know, like Ten Commandments, 
That's a good movie. Yeah. Ben-Hur uh, ben is a really good movie. Yeah. You yeah. know, like when those movies come on, uh, but maybe part of it is I think uh, Ben-Hur was made by uh, William Wyler, who's a Jew. You know, so. yeah, yeah. A lot of, you know, a lot of the best Christmas songs were written by Jews. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, it's crazy that way. But I, yeah, I mean, uh, we were talking about it. It's not like if, if you make a, like Ben-Hur is very reverent, Christian and mm-hmm. it it it, uh, it has the crucifixion in it and it's incredibly re- but it's a very entertaining movie it's very well done you mm-hmm. know and, well, and even Life of Brian is a very religious movie yeah yeah, yeah. it's yeah. just not uh, I, I don't know if you if you get so pious you can't be funny anymore yeah and comedy is anti-establishment mm-hmm. and it's oh, yeah. hard to have both of those and try to make an entertaining thing it right. just becomes but if the people babbling. make like another example I think of uh, kind of a Christian movie is It's a Wonderful Life you know has an angel in it and oh, yeah. has, has yeah. people praying it to be the praying and then the angel comes I do love and, that movie. Right? Right. but it's a but it's a great movie you know it's it's like artists whether they're Christian or atheists if they're artists they transcend that yeah. and they make something that that well, and they can use the medium value, yeah. of, of film to be symbolic, yeah. and it's more meaningful rather than going, you know, this is a hammer, and I'm going to hit you in the head with yeah, it. Exactly. And, you know, God's, God's Not Dead is not bad. Well, it's partly bad because the people who making making it are, not that they're Christians, but they're douchebag Christians. But Ooh. it's true. If you see the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But the main reason it's bad is because they're not talented, yeah. you know, the people making it. So it's, uh, it's so filled with hate. Yeah, it is. It's like, what is, is that the point? Well, and I think, and I haven't seen the movie, so and this is completely based on, like, seeing previews and reviews. So, you know, mm. it seems like they set up these, like, really, like, these straw men in terms yeah, oh, of, like, what the atheist yeah, absolutely. is. Absolutely. Like, d- d- it's know, like it, we were just watching it just now, and, like, insincere. the Kevin Sorbo character. Yeah. He's a total dick to this kid uh-huh. in his philosophy class. There's like several scenes. He's just the biggest dick ever. And then they add on another scene of him just like randomly running up to the kid outside the school and being a total dick again. And then the scene like with Dean. It, he's the bad guy. <laughs> the scene with Dean Kane that we were just watching as Trace. Trace, what were you saying about that 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 character? Well, the, there's a. His girlfriend is telling him some horrible news, and uh-huh. he dismisses it out of hand. It's the worst news you could tell anybody that you might have been in love with uh-huh. at some point. Uh-huh. And no one on the planet would have this No response. one would behave the way this... Even the biggest jerk in the world would not behave the way this guy behaves. Yeah, if you came yeah. to Hitler at, uh, <laughs> at dinner and, and gave him this news, he would still have some compassion Yeah, him. yeah. But uh, so, so in other words, they really are putting their thumb on the scale uh-huh. of, of like the opposite. Anyone in this movie who isn't Christian is just um, a horrible uh, person. Yeah. Uh, subtlety was not applied at all in no. the telling of this, this story. Did you guys see the new Left Behind movie with Nicolas Cage? No, I didn't. No. I didn't. We actually, Hemet, my co-host, and I um, watched it and then did a podcast on it. Uh, and it, it was... It, it walked this line between... I mean, it was terrible, but it right. wasn't fun bad. Right. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. it wasn't, like, a fun movie to, like, poke fun at. Because we were like, right. okay, we'll go see the movie, and then we'll record a podcast talking right, about right. it. And we're just like, I, it's... You can't... It's not even fun to talk about. It's just mm. poorly written. Nick mm-hmm. Cage is just 
bananas crazy. But don't these films make a lot of money? They're cheap to make. The thing is, Left Behind did not, as far as I know, which, which is, that's such a testament to how bad it is, because those books sell like crazy. Right, yeah, yeah. So the fact that they managed to make a movie so bad wow, yeah. that like even Christians They're, wouldn't see it. I saw it on maybe the second week and it was out, and granted it was a Sunday afternoon Well, but, but Aurora, they must but, have had a budget because uh, Nick Cage... It met his criteria when he makes a decision to do a movie or not. They met his him? they met his yeah. quote, yeah. and uh, he so they gave him the mo- amount of money he wanted, and that's yeah. the only that's apparently with Nicolas Cage is his only thing in his thought process. If he's offered a movie, are you paying me a certain amount of millions yeah. of dollars? Uh, don't even send me the script. If, yeah. Send me the check, and I'll I'll show up for work. I think Funny or Die did. A take on that of yeah, just like uh, every time it's from like I'll do it I'll do it yeah, like yeah, can't yeah. can't uh, say no. Oh, what's this? Uh, who was it? Um, oh, Joe Joe McHale at mm. um, at the White House Correspondence Center had a really funny. He was he wasn't he was talking about Robert De Niro actually who uh-huh. was in so many movies, and he go he said, uh, "Here's my impression of Robert De Niro's agent." Bring. He'll do it. <laughs> Isn't it funny to see like these just actors or directors or whomever, and they used to just put out this amazing work, and all of a sudden you're like, what? What happened? What's going on? Yeah. You still want to work. I mean, you yeah. look at a career as an arc, and as your young struggling actor, you're taking a lot of work, uh-huh. and then you get really good work, uh-huh. and you get you are good in the work uh-huh. and you still want to continue to work but the, the good scripts aren't there right. yeah. and I, I don't fault uh, anyone yeah they just yeah, want to they want to you know especially if you're an actor it's like you just want to work you know the statistic is something like at any given time like 95% of the people in the Screen Actors Guild are not working. Yeah. You know, it's so hard, it's to, hard book, to book an acting gig. Yeah. So you can't begrudge any actor for taking yeah, a job, it. except for Nick Cage, but everyone else, <laughs> uh, you can't. And so, you know, you'll see, like, um, you know, you'll see Ben Gazzara, who was the original brick in the original uh, Broadway cast of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Mm. You'll see him in Roadhouse, you uh-huh. know. And well, Roadhouse well, is great. a great, he's great in Roadhouse. He's great, and you can tell he's having a really good time. Uh-huh. Yeah, but yeah. but the reason he's doing it is just because, you know, they, they wanted him for it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Mm. Do you guys have an opinion about the fact that it seems like so many movies are remakes and sequels, and, and it seems like original stories aren't being told yeah, I mean much? that's. I think that's just kind of the Hollywood mentality now. Yeah. Is is or is that our fault for keeping a ghost? We keep going. to Well, see these. the thing is, is uh, there is that going on in terms of the gigantic, big budget movies, and you know now they even like like with superhero movies, like even if they don't work out that well, they'll yeah. just say fuck it, we're going to do it over again. Like I, like right now they're doing another Fantastic Four. Yeah movie which is they're doing the origin story again yeah. just like they did with Spider-Man where they just did like less than 8 though. years after the original they rebooted it with a with a different yeah. with the same origin story with a different cast so that's like seems very uncreative but on the other hand you know I I got a lot of uh Academy Award screeners this year and and there were so many good movies this year yeah. I thought Whiplash, Whiplash and Nightcrawler so and um the um American Sniper Amer- American Sniper and the um the the Alan Turing one oh, the, um, the Imitation Game I loved that Yeah movie. and uh 
Um, oh, and the um, a most violent year. I mean, mm -hmm. there there were like every just about every screener I got was was really yeah, was right. really good. And so I'm like, yeah, you know, people. But the people who make those kind of movies that are creative and original, they really have to get out there and struggle to make them and mm -hmm. be relentless in getting them made, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, you know what? We are at almost 40 minutes. So uh, um, let's see. We can find your guys' work at your respective websites. Yes. Uh, you cannot find my work at my website because I don't have it maintained. Ah. Uh -huh. uh, but I'll tell you, I'll be in Chicago next week uh, on the 12th, on the Sunday 12th. the 12th. I don't know when this is going to get released, but I can't Or I was rush. in Chicago. <laughs> or you are right now. Or I am right now. If you now. have a time machine, go back yeah. and catch that Chicago thing because it was great. Yeah. <laughs> or it was horrible, or it will be horrible, <laughs> or I'm not even there. Or it is currently being horrible yes. as we speak. And I, um, I do have a website, frankconiff.com where you can find... See, this guy's a professional. Yeah, yeah that's right. I'm Mr. Slick Showbiz, baby. <laughs> that's uh, right. Uh, where you can find my podcast, which is called Podhouse 90. Um, and I'm on Twitter and Facebook at Frank Conniff. And also, once a week, I'm on the Jimmy Dore Show, which uh -huh. is a podcast you can find. And every day... I'm on uh, Sirius XM Radio uh, on channel 121, which mm -hmm. is the new Sirius XM Insight channel. And uh, uh, John Fugelsang hosts a show there called Tell Me Everything, and I'm his sidekick on that show. And I'm there cool. every day from 2 to 5 Eastern time. Awesome. Uh, I do have, I can tell you one thing. Uh -huh. uh, Yahoo TV, April 14th, uh, Paul Feig's show, Other Space. Yes. Uh, I provide the voice of the robot on the spaceship. So, so you're really expanding your, your work. I have a range of about a foot. <laughs> yeah. So again, I'm another robot. Awesome. Mm -hmm. um, and also because I know this is probably the only podcast that I record that any of my friends will ever listen to. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening, finally. Mm -hmm. um, all right. Thank you so much for joining hey, me. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. This episode was taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois, and the music was written and performed by Brad Chagdis. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at Patreon.com slash Hemant. That's He-Man T. We appreciate your support. I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. We hope you'll join us next time.